Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are. Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Now, this week we're discussing the business of sport and I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Michael O'Keefe, Chief Executive of Teneo PSG. Welcome back, Michael. Hi, Kieran. How are you? Now, we're going to start with GAA and the Congress recently decides to ban gambling sponsorship of any competition team, playing gear or facility. This is quite, I mean, this is quite innovative by the GAA. Yeah, very, very much so and, and, and brave as well. Um, I suppose you put this in context to sponsorship over the last 30 years where tobacco was the first um, vice, I suppose, to be to be hammered. Alcohol then? Alcohol is now in very much in, in the in the eye line of the of the legislators in this country and, and has been in Europe. Um, high fat salt sugar uh, products as well are coming under the microscope in terms of particularly under 16 um, sports. Um, and we would have always felt in the sponsorship industry that um, bookmakers would have been, you know, maybe five to ten years away from from people looking at them. But the GA have got out of the block early, and I think they've been very vocal on mm. on why. I, I I think a lot has been done. There's the, the GA have have um have have people full time people in place like Colin O'Regan and the GPA have been very vocal on this issue. There's been a lot of addict, uh, addiction uh, cases like Niall McNamee, Oshie McConnell have been very vocal on it. Um, you know, you could argue um. It has no impact on the GA itself in terms of its own revenue, um, in that the GA doesn't have a bookmaking partner. So it's more a symbolic gesture, mm. I think, than what anything else. What about some of the clubs? Maybe some of the clubs around yeah, the country I, might I, have. I, I think you're right. I, I think um, there's currently no um, bookmaker sponsoring a, a, an intercounty team, although Boyle Sports did sponsor Loud a number of years ago and Labrook sponsored Derry. I think at club level, I think, is where there might be issues where the local bookmaker. Um, may just be just local businessman done good and is giving money to the local mm. team. Um, and, you know, there mightn't be any ulterior motive to it. It also raises the issue as to where gambling begins and ends because uh, most clubs would have lottos, wouldn't they? They would have some sort of prize draws where they're encouraging people to spend a few bob and enter a, a competition to to win uh, and maybe pick numbers uh, in I, some uh, cases I, to win I, numbers I, I, and indeed they're in receipt of national lottery funding. Every, every, every club Soccer, rugby, GA, and others have have lottos and so forth. I, I I think that's you know on a personal perspective, I think it's probably a more benign um thing, and it's it's a fundraiser 
um, last man standing in soccer. Like it's what's gambling, what's not. I, 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 I think you know from a GA perspective, I think it's it's it was a symbolic uh, thing. I think it was a very interesting thing that they did. I think what it does is it 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 opens up the conversation that probably hadn't been had before. We've three League of Ireland teams that are sponsored by bookmakers. Um, you have big sports organisations here which have official bookmaking partners I think the UK is the big one 9 out of the 20 Premier League clubs have bookmakers on the front of their jerseys Yeah we had a case uh, last season didn't we in the League of Ireland involving Absolutely. Athlone Town and uh, Longford I think it was Absolutely. if memory serves me where there was suspicious betting activity from Asia and elsewhere Anyway we'll move on because yep. it's uh, Six Nations weekend the Scots are coming to town Ireland are on the march towards the Grand Slam I'm sure you'll be at the game Mick um, and these matches are worth a lot to the local economy, aren't they? This is the third home Six Nations game of the season. First, happens every uh, two years that we have three home games, and the IRFU estimating that the economic impact is somewhere between sixty and eighty million euro. Now, I have to tell you, I'm always a little skeptical about yep. these economic impact statements Likewise. around sports events and, and festivals, it, and, and rightfully so because it's it's it, it's quite complex when you start to actually get into it. Because you know, you look at Dublin on a Saturday night where you might have ninety percent hotel occupancy anyway, so you have to calculate based on the extra bounds that they get and the extra cost of the hotel rooms mm. pubs are usually full in Dublin on a Saturday night anyway so and then obviously the times of the game has changed so if it's a 2 o'clock game how does that impact the pubs versus a 5 o'clock game versus a 7 o'clock game so there isn't an exact science um, Smurfit have done some work on this um, some of the uh, um, the RFU themselves have done some work Dublin Chamber of Commerce have done some work um, the RFU will be saying on the weekend I understand from talking to them that 25 million is as accurate an estimate as, as they can make which is a calculation based on ticket prices hospitality and then from the information they get from pubs, the LVA would say that somewhere between twenty five and thirty percent uplift for things like all Ireland football That's the finals. Vintners. The vintners, yeah, would 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 claim um, uh, and and things like hotel rooms is probably a little bit more nuanced because again, you know, um, with such high occupancy rates, the hotels might be full anyhow, so you can't necessarily put it all down to the to the, to the rugby. But it tends to be a huge social occasion, mm. and somewhere around the twenty five million is the number that's been that's been bandied around. But again, Sunday game's different to a Saturday game and so mm. forth. Okay, are we going to win? Hope so. <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> okay, let, let's talk about uh, stadium naming rights. And that game between Ireland and Scotland will be taking place in the Aviva Stadium, named after the insurance company. They recently renewed their deal. We've had some uh, research from Duff and Phelps in the UK suggesting that uh, naming rights uh, probably uh, still some way to go. I think they were suggesting that Manchester United could really cash in if they were to seek a sponsor for Old Trafford. But they also uh, highlighted the fact that in Ireland it really is uh, an unexplored, largely unexplored market. Yeah, and look, you know, um, th- this this organisation did this research, um, obviously from a from a publicity perspective for themselves, but quite interesting, they they put a perceived value on what they thought each stadium would be worth and Old Trafford was was number one. Um, we've had Pori Duffy in here and he's said absolutely no way would they sell the name rights to Crow Park. Um, it is becoming interesting, I think, where it becomes... But other GAA grants have sold their naming rights? They have and the GA one is, is interesting in that the, the theory of naming rights is that it tends to be simpler with a new build or a rebuild. So you have it here, you've, the point was knocked down and rebuilt and it became the O2. You had Lansdowne Road was there and then it was knocked down and was mm. rebuilt. should say the, the O2 is now the three. Really. It's now the so three. Yeah, no, no. Just, you know, just, Ireland. So it wasn't now, sorry, not now the O2. It became the O2 and then now is obviously the three. Um, and then um, same with Lansdowne was knocked and rebuilt and became the Aviva, the new theatre, which was Grand Canal Theatre. It was. Mm. And I think a lot of people were sceptical when Lansdowne Road was uh, renamed the Aviva. They were sceptical that it would catch on, but I think it has. Absolutely. And I, and I think name adoption, I think people have been quite apt. But mm. taking your point on the GA thing is very interesting. And I think um, 
a lot of the grounds are named after old Irish uh, uh, heroes and so forth. So patriots. Patriots, let's call them, yes. And um, what you'll often find is that the heritage of the name is so strong that they go with a double barrel name. So we have the Kingspan Breffney Parks and the Innovate Wexford Parks and the Netwatch, mm. Dr. Cullens and so forth. Um, so it's much more difficult from a GA perspective. And also you have this issue where people are using it, I think, sometimes to think get a quick book. You know, if you're going to do name and rights, it needs to be kind of a 10-year thing. Um, so what will be interesting is we've got Kingspan It's a forever thing when you think about it I mean well, certainly from the point of view of the owner of the stadium they want it to be a, a forever thing because they want that income stream to continue Absolutely and, and, and I think you know what you don't want is the name constantly changing names it has happened in the States where you've got names of stadiums yeah, and they're confusing. changing every five years it's confusing It's happened in Britain too I think with some of the uh, it, football What it, about Tolman Park because Munster have been talking about uh, this for years and yet it hasn't happened Why not? And, 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 and Tolman is one where people have said never say you know that it won't happen um, obviously, f- f- money will 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 uh, will will obviously impact that decision. Um, would they go with a a, a double barreled uh, name, or would they go with just one clean sweep? It, or will they name stands and so on? I I don't know. That's one that's going to be open yeah, for. Okay, all right. Or the S is or the S is one that's obviously. People well, Laia are, are the ones tipped to get that yeah. sponsor whenever the I'm, stadium I'm, I'm, gets I'm rebuilt. Again, we seem to be talking well. about the redevelopment of the RDS for, uh, uh, since God was a boy. But anyway, uh, all right, we're going to stick with the sponsorship theme and all 18 teams in the Bundesliga in Germany, uh, that's the top tier of German league football, now have a sleeve sponsor. Are we going to see that in GAA or in League of Ireland or what's going to happen? Yeah, I suppose the point of this is that the, the Bundesliga, you know, they've been lauded recently for the way they run their their, mm. their leagues and the teams are particularly well run member-owned clubs and all that kind of stuff. And the top two divisions, every team had the same sleeve sponsor, which was a central contract, which is done by the Bundesliga itself. Um, what they did is they they took that back and now the last team to get a sleeve sponsor uh, has, just, has just got one. The question is, would organisations like the FAI um, with League of Ireland teams or the GA do a central deal that would maybe impact and every team would have the same sleeve sponsor as another stream of revenue. I think only time will tell. Yeah, I just wonder whether you get bang for your buck out of sleeve sponsorship because a, a lot of the uh, League of Ireland clubs have sponsors on the back of jerseys and yeah. oftentimes it's very hard to make out with the numbers and yeah. sometimes stripes and hoops and all sorts of things. It's uh, often difficult to make out. I agree with you and I think you don't want a situation where it's like, you know, Formula One cars and there's, you know, there's logos all over the place and I think it just becomes confusing. I think the front and back has worked well for the GA at a time when that was introduced was when counties were finding it difficult to get a sponsor to pay a premium for the front of jersey and they kind of felt, okay, well, we might get two sponsors front and back and mm. back has actually worked particularly well especially in GA where you th- and the camera angles that go with that mm-hmm. the sleeve I don't know would there be an appetite for it and I don't know whether it would be implemented and would it be impactful it's very difficult to know I've always wondered about the helmets and hurling why don't why, why aren't they sponsored um, you're not allowed actually have um, playing gear isn't isn't allowed to be sponsored which includes your boots and helmet and hurl right okay. that's my understanding if you remember right. a certain company had a had hurls uh, uh, branded and it was a footballer Cork footballer had Corona I think on his on his on his football boots and Paddy Power at the hurls if you remember yeah, as well yeah 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 okay thanks for naming uh, Paddy Power and giving Sorry. me free publicity <laughs> for that but um, alright <laughs> and thank you also for clearing up uh, that issue around hurling helmets and sponsorship uh, we'll leave it there thanks Mick cheers thank you we're going to take a short break now when we return we'll be looking forward to the Cheltenham Festival and speaking to its main organiser Ian Renton back in a few moments only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. 
Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes. And it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, the Cheltenham Racing Festival springs into action on Tuesday, continuing on to Friday, with about a quarter of a million people set to pass through the gates over the four days. There'll be plenty of Irish interest, of course. Some 10,000 punters are expected to attend from here. And there'll be a long list of Irish jockeys, trainers and horses all competing for glory. Ian Renton has been the man in charge of Cheltenham since 2012. During that time, he's overseen a £45 million redevelopment of the festival, including the building of a new grandstand, bars, weighing rooms and improvements to local infrastructure. And I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line now by, from Cheltenham by Ian. And we're also joined in studio by my Irish Times colleague, Barry Halloran, who's an avid racing fan and an annual visitor to Cheltenham. And he'll give us the punter's view a little later on. But Ian, thank you for joining us. Um, first of all, I should ask you about the weather. Obviously, some dreadful weather uh, last week with the beast from the east. How is that affecting your preparations for Cheltenham? I mean, thankfully, the team here have done a brilliant job sort of leading up to that, uh, in that the temporary facilities were ahead of schedule and the team out on the course have done a brilliant job in uh, having everything uh, basically ready to go for before the, the beast met Emma. Uh, <laughs> it... Yeah, we had an uncomfortable couple of days with uh, snow, cold, and the winds sort of drifting the snow ac- across everywhere. And uh, in the end, I mean, the ground staff team, with a bit of sort of outside support, did a fantastic job in shifting, we think, somewhere between 250 and 400,000 tonnes of snow off the track. Good grief. Um, and Ian, maybe just set the scene for us. Uh, how big is the Cheltenham Festival, you know, in the context of the racing calendar? Uh, and give us some numbers behind it. You know, I mentioned 250 million people uh, through the gate. But what kind of uh, 250,000 uh, people through the gate? I, should, I should correct myself there, yeah. <laughs> um, how many, you know, what kind of revenues uh, does it generate? Uh, how much is, uh, how much do the bookies take in o- over that time? How many competitors are, are we talking about? How many trainers, horses, etc.? Yeah, I, I, in terms of that number of people, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we expect between 250 and 260,000 people, which is the fourth highest sort of uh, attendance of any sporting event in this country. So it, it, it's a big event. And uh, we, on top of that, we've got uh, high levels of hospitality uh, with, we entertain around 11 to 12,000 people every day taking hospitality from us, which makes it the biggest hospitality event in the country by probably quite a long way. Uh, so it's it's big business for the local economy. I mean, it's bringing in about a, a, over £100 million pounds o- over the four days. So it's uh, it, it, it's a big business for us and, and for the local economy. Ian, hi, it's Mick O'Keefe here. How are you? Um, I'm well. Just, just with respect to the Irish love affair with Cheltenham, which is obviously well publicised, um, we expect in the region something like 10,000 Irish to travel the week that's in it as well, and then you know over twenty million to be spent by Irish punters at, at the festival. Um, how important is the Irish contingent to the festival, um, and do you expect that figure to increase? Obviously, things have picked up here, um, and did you see a decrease in the numbers post two thousand and nine? Yeah, I I only arrived here in late two thousand and twelve, and uh, at that stage we believe we'd had quite a significant drop off of of the Irish. Uh, the Irish invasion, so to speak. Um, we've seen that increase over the last few years, and we now believe roughly 30% of, it's not necessarily 30% of the people, but 30% of the badges we sell, because uh, many of the, uh, or most of the Irish will stay for uh, two, three, four days, uh, probably more, more four than most. Uh, so 
we do have 30% of those sales is now sold to the Irish. So it's huge business here. Obviously, the hotels, uh, you go into most of the hotels, it, uh, you, you struggle to find an Englishman in there. Uh, but uh, it, we've also seen the sort of Irish hospitality market here pick up. Three, four years ago, there have been very few Irish booking hospitality here at the festival, and that's increased. Uh, so it, it's a massive part, and most of all, uh, it's, it's the horses that come over as well. I mean, we've had over over 70 Irish winners in the five years I've been at the festival. Ian, on, on, with respect to hotels, which you've mentioned there, there's, there's been a perceived issue about supply and, and, and mention of a hotel being built on site. Is, is that something that's in plans and what impact might that have? Yeah, we looked at it when I first came here. We sort of had a look at it and I wasn't totally attracted to the idea uh, as to you know, whether the benefits outweigh any disadvantages in taking, you know, every bit of space here at the festival is very valuable. Um, And I've just started looking at it again. I mean, I know the town here would love us to have a hotel on site, even outside the festival, there's often a need for additional hotel rooms. And I think now it is something that could add add to the whole experience if we we were to find the right partner uh, and build a hotel here. I, I, I think it'd be a nice option. Ian, can I just ask you about um, targeting the Irish market? I mean, maybe maybe you don't. I don't. I wonder how actively you target the Irish market. I mean, do you just you know expect punters to show up from Ireland because it is uh, such a well known festival and it's such a long tradition, or do you actively uh, market the festival uh, in Ireland? And I'm just wondering in terms of sponsors too. I know you've got Ryanair and Ballymore on board uh, as sponsors this year, but I'm just wondering in terms of maybe hospitality and sponsorship, how actively you target Ireland. To be honest, probably not as actively as we should. I mean, when we uh, did did some research l- last year uh, and found, you know, that uh, the number of people uh, coming to Ireland was, uh, you know, on the steady increase, uh, we felt that, you know, we don't put enough of our budget towards Ireland. Uh, we, we we have targeted, I mean, occasionally we, you know, we, we try to get an RTE, I think probably more on the PR side. Last year we came out, spent a bit of time in Dublin with, we're, uh, with the local uh, media and we spent quite a lot of time around the racing uh, festivals to try and target uh, the Irish market. But I think it's something we can do more of. Yeah. Is that something you're, you're planning to do? Are you going to put a plan in place? Uh, ab- absolutely. I mean, you know, ev- every, every year we, we look at, you know, where our marketing is targeted, whether we got it right uh, and, you know, review it for the following year. So I'm, I'm certain it, it's an area we, we, we will consciously look at. Yeah. And in the, recently in Ireland, uh, we've had the advent of the Dublin Racing Festival in Leprosan. It's combined effectively three weeks of racing into one weekend. I'm just wondering if you think that'll become something of a, a curtain raiser for Cheltenham in the years ahead. And you think more UK-based trainers might uh, might decide to send some horses over? Uh, certainly as a curtain raiser, absolutely. I mean, I think it's the most br- brilliant new initiative. I mean, because we fail to achieve something similar over here between uh, between Christmas and and the festival, you know, I think we we have you know some good races, but nothing that comes close to the Dublin Festival. And I think to have uh, brought in that initiative to actually have uh, what was you know great racing over the two days, and for me, fantastic to come and spend two days rather than my one day for the uh, Irish Girl Cup, which is my usual visit, uh, was great to see the quality of racing and for people to see it 
Uh, yes, in many ways, people were still seeing it, seeing it as a trial for festival, but it was also a festival in its own right with uh, horses targeting that, which might not be coming to the festival. Uh, so I think for us, uh, uh, you know, five weeks or so before the festival, to have such a uh, great racing event uh, was a massive benefit. With regard to the English runners, I mean, I think we've, we regularly see through January, February, a reluctance uh, from both Irish trainers and English trainers to cross the, cross the Irish Sea. I think in the past, Willie Mullins has been forced to do so because he's had such uh, a sort of plethora of fantastic horses. He's had to try and split them up and has had no choice but to come over here. But uh, generally, uh, we don't tend to see the runners, uh, particularly in the uh, grade one races, traveling across the Irish Sea uh, much in January, February. I think it, it will increase. I think uh, I'm sure some of the, you know, there are a lot of good 100,000 euro handicaps and things, which I think those will be targeted by, by English trainers and I'm, I'm sure it will grow. But I, to be honest, I think it's a fantastic festival, even if it just had a handful of English runners that it had this year. In um, big festivals like your own um, have kind of booked the trend, I think, in terms of attendances at, at, at horse racing. Is there a time where you might get a little bit greedy and consider an extra day or is, is four the optimum number of days? And obviously you've gone from three to four. I, I personally think four is fantastic. I mean, it works. Uh, it is uh, four brilliant days of racing. There's minimal dilution of, of what we've got. You know, people will say, you know, when you brought in the Ryanair, you were sort of uh, taking something away from the Queen Mother Champion Chase or the Timmy Coe Gentleman Gold Cup. Uh, so uh, I personally don't think that's the case. I think all three races stand up absolutely brilliantly. Uh, but the danger is if you introduce more races, there will be some dilution effect. Uh, I think uh, we still got uh, the numbers to fill on the first three days. I know we, uh, for a number of years, have sold out on Gold Cup Day. Uh, but to me, uh, I don't think there's a need to look uh, that seriously at a fifth day until we can actually say we're full on four days. Okay, fair enough. And just one thing that's happened here, um, Ian, in the last week is um, the GA, which is the largest sporting organisation in, in, in the country, has banned gambling sponsorship, um, as I said, for any competition team, playing gear, etc., which was quite a, a, a bold um, first first move by a sporting organisation here. Um, if something similar was to happen in horse racing, you know, what kind of an impact would that have do you think on the industry and what kind of an impact would it have in Cheltenham do you think? Yeah I think it's much less likely ever to happen with racing because the two they are intrinsically linked and I think we've got uh, much better systems in place to uh, ensure that you know betting on racing is safer than on any other sports but uh, we over the last few years have certainly sort of broadened our portfolio of sponsorship here uh, to you know, slightly reduce the emphasis on on the betting companies. I mean, uh, we now have sort of four financial companies involved, uh, and you know, uh, when we uh, brought in the new Gold Cup sponsor, Tomiko, from a uh, technology area, we certainly look to try and maintain that breadth breadth of sponsorship and partners here. To uh, I, th I think just from a, a brand presence uh, to to be seen. To encompass all, all areas of hospitality and, and sponsorship, not not just the betting industry. Ian, I might just bring my colleague Barry O'Halloran into the conversation at this point because Barry has been a regular goer to Cheltenham now for a number of years. He's an avid uh, race fan. Uh, 
Barry, what's your experience of Cheltenham every year? Why do you go? Well, it, primarily you go because of the quality of the racing. Um, th- there really isn't anything else where you get sort of the, the best of the best from both sides of the Irish Sea coming together, locking horns to do battle um, and seeing who emerges the best. That's the, I mean, that's, that, that's the central core of it. There is, the, there is a lot sort of swirling around the festival now and, and you, you see more and more swirling around it, if you like, every year. But, but at the centre of mm. it is really the, is, is, is the standard of racing and the standard of horsemanship. Now, you generally go for the four days. How, how many years in a row have you, have you been at this stage? Oh, God. <laughs> um, that's a good question, Kieran. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure I liked you asking. I think this might be my 13th or 14th festival in a row. Right, OK. And to a lot of people who, who, who aren't as interested in horse racing as you are, four days on the trot of uh, non-stop horse racing, that, that seems like an awful lot. I mean, how do you put your days down? How do I put my days down? <laughs> well, I go to the races, Kieran. <laughs> um, it, it, it does seem like an awful lot, but I, I, I think if, if you enjoy something uh, and if somebody is prepared to put on a, a spread of this quality, then I, I think it would be really foolish not to take advantage of it and, and not to go along and, and, and enjoy every minute of it. Yeah, good answer. Um, how does Cheltenham compare with other festivals? I mean, let's say close to home, maybe Punchestown or even Leopardstown at Christmas? Um, well, I have to say, and I'm, I'm a member of Punchestown and a very loyal race scorer there. I think the Punchestown Festival, it also brings the best of the best together in, in many races, but the Punchestown Festival has a particular quality of its own and a particular uniqueness. Um, and I I think it can hold its head up in, in the, alongside any similar event from anywhere in the world. The two festivals are slightly different. Punchestone has got a, a sort of a more intimate feel, a more local feel. Cheltenham seems to have a sort of a, a, a much bigger impact, I suppose. Yeah, OK. And where do you stand on this whole issue of uh, Mick Astin, uh, you know, whether they might look at ex- expanding it beyond four days? Would you be in favour of that or do you think four days is just about right? Uh, personally, I'd like four weeks, but um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I don't really see that being feasible. I mean, I, t- to me, I think four days is, is a kind of an optimum. I always felt that three wasn't quite enough, but I think four is an optimum. And given where it falls in the year and the, the timing kind of close to Patrick's Day, it, it sort of works really well from an Irish point of view as well. Not not directly linked to Barry, but just a question for you, Ian, on um, antisocial behaviour. Uh, um, and obviously, the la- last year, the drinking rules and, and times were 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 changed to discourage this. Do you think this has had the desired effect? Uh, we we certainly felt it was effective last year, and I think it was a case of just trying to nip in the bud any any issues that were occur- occurring. I mean, I think we're we're very lucky here. I think of almost a, any major sporting event, uh, we have a very good level of behaviour here, but. You know, and people want to come here, they want to have a drink and have a good time. That's what it's all about. Uh, but it was just trying to ensure that a very small minority of people coming here and wanting uh, to have, you know, more than a drink and maybe, you know, uh, step out of line in the, their behaviour. And we just want to nip that in the bud. And I think we successfully achieved that. Yeah. And, and again, just relating to the, the experience as well. Um this delicate balance between, I suppose, embracing digital Wi-Fi facilities and, you know, all the bookies are operating online now. And how do you ensure, I suppose, that the, the experience and the on-track bookie tote experience remains relevant? Yeah, I think that's a really, it's a real tough one. I mean, particularly as we sort of bring, uh, as we will be later this year, bringing the tote uh, in-house and, you know, we'll have, uh, we'll certainly want to be uh, driving some custom of our race goes 
to the tote uh, and uh, achieving that yet knowing that the vast majority of our race goers will, will have their betting accounts, uh, which we have facilitated in uh, introducing Wi-Fi making, and through the introduction of Wi-Fi, we've actually got much better mobile phone signal. Um, five years ago, I mean, you know, you, you neither had Wi-Fi nor a mobile phone signal. Uh, so now that we, we certainly facilitated the ability to bet on course with, with, with their bookmakers. And I think you know, it's not necessarily in our best interest, but I think it's, it's in the race goers' best interest. And we, 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 we got to look after them. Ian, I should ask you about Brexit. It's a, it's a topic that dominates conversations, I think, on both sides of the Irish Sea. And the UK is due to leave the European Union next year. We don't know if there's going to be a transition deal or, or not, but how is that going to affect uh, a festival like Cheltenham and national hunt racing? Well, I think the, the, the biggest concern we all have, and it is particularly between the Irish and ourselves, is the transport of horses. And only last night I was talking to uh, someone uh, working within DEFRA to see, you know, how how well we are progressing, and I think we, on this occasion, uh, Britain is not probably the most popular member of the uh, European Union at the, at the moment, and therefore not necessary. Our requests are not necessarily being listened to in in the way they should be, and we're probably going to want to work really closely with both the Irish and the French in whose interests, as much as ours it is, to ensure that free movement of horses can continue post-Brexit and to actually, uh, uh, we, we, we will be talking to the, the necessary ministers in both Ireland and France to tr try and persuade the European Union that it's not just in Britain's interest to maintain sure. that, uh, but you know, it's absolutely essential for, for Ireland particularly. Um, Ian, just finally for me, um, just kind of one question in two parts, so it's technically two questions, but um, like you've been attending Cheltenham for a, a long time yourself now. Um, what is your outstanding Cheltenham memory is the, is the first part of my question. And I suppose the second part is in, in your position, your, your, your biggest challenge as you see it over the next four to five years. Uh, I think my, I've had so many fantastic memories, but probably my, uh, one of my earliest uh, would have been, I guess, ooh, I was going to say 1986, uh, Dawn Run, yeah, get, getting up on the line to win the Gold Cup, uh, which I just thought was one of those wonderful, wonderful performances. And I think uh, probably uh, a few years later, you know, we had Desert Orchid, who was a horse I loved in uh, conditions he hated, ev everything against him other than that will to win at Cheltenham and I think you know the, those in my in, in the 80s were, were my great memories of um, uh, of Cheltenham but I, I, I have many more uh, challenges the next five years um, I think I've been incredibly lucky to sort of have, have had the honor of sort of overseeing Cheltenham for the last five years uh, with the ability to invest 45 million pounds into here and to have seen to being able to oversee the improvements that has brought about at the track uh, is is fantastic for me, both uh, as a person in charge of Cheltenham, but also uh, as a race goer of the past and the future. And I think having done that, still trying to make something better every year is an increasingly difficult challenge. Uh, but I think you know, every single member of the team here, and I've got a fantastic team who do all the hard work here, uh, we're all incredibly keen and just each year looking back and thinking, yep, 
we've been done things a little bit better than the previous year. And I think continuing to do that as hopefully uh, we can look back and think we've improved year on year, it probably gets harder every year. Finally, uh, Barry, it would be rude uh, of us not to ask you for your outstanding memory. And then I've, I've one final question for both your, yourself and Ian, but maybe you can give us your, your outstanding memory from, uh, from Cheltenham over the years. OK, I, I'm going to go something slightly less stream, uh, less mainstream uh, or high profile, if you like. But it has to be Detroit City winning the, the triumph hurdle in 2006. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> for, for a lot of reasons, I think. Uh, I told everyone to back him in the weeks running up to the festival and I knew I would be shot if he hadn't won when I got home. Um, but he broke the track record that day and he was a superb racehorse and I think, Ian, you'll, remember, you'll probably remember this. He won the Greatwood afterwards off top weight, which was a fabulous achievement for a four-year-old. Um, he, he was ridden by the excellent Richard Johnson and trained by Philip Hobbs. Fabulous grey horse. All right, and we'll close. Uh, it'd be again. It'd be rude for me not to ask you for some tips on the eve of this. I'm sure all of our listeners are hoping for some ideal tips uh, for the festival. So, Barry, uh, we'll start with you. Okay, I'm going to go with the tried and trusted. Uh, I think Josie's orders ranks a great each way bet in the cross country chase, which is the fifth race on the Wednesday. He's been there and done it, uh, and he's trained by past master at winning these races and a boulder, and he's owned by JP. And I'm going to stick with another Irish horse for my second tip. And um, I think that Sizing John is going to do a repeat in the Gold Cup. Uh, he won a, a really strong renewal of the, the race last year, beating a fair uh, yardstick in Jack Adam. I know he, he had a glitch at Christmas, but the, the old saying I think always holds that you should always forgive a good horse a bad run. And he's in excellent hands with Jesse Harrington and Robbie Power. And I doubt very much that he's going to be out of the first three uh, come Friday week. Okay, Ian? Um, well, funny enough, l- last year, uh, the horse I was keenest on going into the meeting was uh, Bouvardaire. And uh, I really, I know he's going to be a short price this year, but I really struggle uh, to see uh, who's going to beat him this year. I, th- I think he uh, won, uh, won champion hurdle one last year, won it well last year. Uh, it looks like uh, at this stage we're going to be going into the meeting with ground, certainly on the easier side of good, which is what we always like to start start off on. He won't mind, you know, uh, whether it's good to soft, soft, whatever. And, I mean, he, he'd be my, uh, my best tip for the meeting. Okay, uh, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Michael O'Keefe, Ian Renton and Barry O'Halloran. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer research was by Dan O'Neill of Teneo PSG. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. I'm Mick O'Keefe. Until next time, take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.